The Send Network podcast is brought to you by the Send Network, a digital community for Send practitioners to connect and collaborate. To find out more, head over to the send-network.co.uk. Welcome back to the Sun Network podcast. We are back for part three of our very special series, The Three C's of Supporting Neurodivergent Children with Cheryl Bedding. Cheryl has nearly three decades of experience working in early years and is the founder and director of Aperion Training, where she provides support for professionals to create inclusive and inspiring environments. Thank you, Cheryl, for joining me for the final part of this series. Thanks for having me back. So in this episode, we are going to be talking about the importance of consistency when supporting neurodivergent children. So in the previous episode, we spoke about the importance of a strength-based approach. Um, So ensuring that practice is always stemming from what children can do as opposed to what they quote-unquote can't do, as as you said. So how can educators ensure that they are consistently coming from this strength-based perspective? We need to be embedding a a culture of neuro-affirming practice, neuro-inclusion and an understanding of um, neurodiversity threading through everything that we do. Um, I've been asked fairly recently a couple of um, small nursery chains to reevaluate, review um, their SEM policy to ensure that right from as, as a foundational point of view yeah. that everybody is working from the same document, singing from the same hymn sheet mm. with regards to uh, neuroinclusive practice. So it's a complete review of the the policy, bringing current up-to-date legislation and that strength-based narrative running through the policy. And then from there, delivering the training to the team to make sure that everybody's hearing the same message right from the beginning um, and really looking at how there can be a shift in in what we're doing. Um, We know early years is, is a tricky time right now. Um, limited funding, limited support, staffing being a, being a huge issue. Um, so if we can make it so that it runs through everything that we do, it can actually provide that that safer space, um, not only for our children and our families, but but for our staff too. Yeah. Um, so we really have to take it right from the beginning. So yes, there's the policy, but really considering um, the journey of the child throughout your setting. So obviously within within early year settings, we can take very, very tiny, tiny babies. Um, we are not necessarily going to be seeing a neurodivergent condition in our, in our three-month-old babies. Um, so we will have those children that would have been with us for a while, um, but then we start to identify as they grow and develop some of those, those, um, those traits, those indicators. But we will also have children that arrive to us, with us, um, with an emerging need. Um, Those children that may well be on the pathway to diagnosis or have a diagnosis already. So we need to consider the journey of both of those children, the journey of the family for both of those children, um, and the journey of the staff that are with you throughout that journey 
um, of that child. Um, so even from show round, so you've got your policy. Have a think about your show round. Have a think about your website. What language is being used across those platforms? Because they are our first touch points with our with our families. So if I am a parent of a child who is on the pathway to diagnosis or has a diagnosis of a neurodivergent children a neurodivergent child, I want to feel that my child belongs here right from the beginning. So we need to be considering our our language, the language that we use, that strength-based language, the understanding that we get to know, the the unique child. We have that flexibility of thinking. We also have we also provide that safe space. So we really need to consider um, the consistency in our in our approach with our again going back to the last episode of our environment. How is it feeling for for our children? How is it feeling for our families? There will be a percentage of our neurodivergent children that will have neurodivergent parents. Yeah. How do they feel when they're entering the space? Um, do they feel that they belong? Do they feel that they are going to have their voice heard within the space? Because I guess. As you rightly said, we don't we don't necessarily know the backstory of parents a lot of the time. So it's being considerate of those actors as well and considering whether there's anxiety there in, in change or transition because we talk a lot about the child, but actually the parents are are sort of metaphorically giving away their their baby potentially to a new environment and there can be a lot of I'd imagine a lot of anxiety around that as well. Yeah, I think when you are a parent trying to look for an earlier space, for for many people, for most parents, that that's a real pull because you're you're letting go of of your most loved um, element of your life, yeah. and 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 I I know I really struggled with that massively when when I had to go back to work. Um, so let's then add in the fact that that our child um, is coming from with, with some additional factors. Um, our, our child is a child of difference. Maybe our child has not been able to feel like they belong in other settings previously. So our fam- our families, our parents are coming with some previous experiences that may well haven't gone so well for them. Yeah. Um, the children may well have been traumatised been impacted by the situations they've been in before and even you know we refer quite a lot to COVID don't we but even thinking about COVID and what our children have experienced um, and how our children are going to respond and react to the settings we need to make sure that we're consistent in our approach to again the setting and and the behavior but also thinking about our paperwork that we're asking our parents to to fill out, we may well be asking them if their child has um, a special educational need or disability. So they might write down, um, you know, the the condition that the child either has or or is on the pathway to a diagnosis for. Um, how do we dig deeper into that? How do we understand how ADHD or how autism presents itself within that child? Mm. Um, so it really is about our, our consistency and our questioning and our um, approach to spend maybe a little bit more time to get to know that family and get to know the child. What are the triggers? What, are, what does the child need from us in order for them to transition effectively into our setting? 
And practically, what, what does that look like on the ground for, uh, for a teacher, for an early years specialist? Is that having consistent meetings with the family? Is that meeting them before they've even come in to the setting and make sure that there is that background check, if you like? Um, is, it, is, it com- is it always conversation-based? It has to be that open, honest discussion right from the right from the beginning. So I think once a parent, certainly from, you know, as, as a parent myself, I want to feel it when I come in that I belong, that my child is going to be able to feel that sense of belonging when they're here in the setting. So I want to make sure that there is an opportunity for me to have those open and honest discussions. Um, I mean, you know, not every setting is going to be able to do a home visit. You know, yeah. there are many that 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 do. Um, certainly, you know, years gone by, that would have been prerequisite of any child starting. There would be a home visit. I mean, for many places now, that would be an absolute luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, Just aren't the resources it, now? As you there say. really, really isn't. There really isn't the 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 resources to be able to do that. But do we have a safe space within our setting for our parents to come in for a little? bit longer um, you know if you are a, are a, a child minder is it that you just offer a, a Saturday morning or, a, or an evening discussion around the the hustle and bustle of the day in a in a nursery environment is there somewhere that we can just start to form those trusting relationships with that parent through our communication and sometimes you know it's not even oh hi yeah how, how was the child's weekend how are you doing are you okay and when that parent says yeah yeah we're fine if you've built up a relationship with yeah. that parent, you'll know that fine, maybe not mean it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also some of those little indicators of, of what maybe has happened at the weekend, um, really consistent in our understanding of you might have a parent whose child doesn't sleep because we can't um, support our regulatory behaviours overnight. Um, we might not be able to get those sensory needs met overnight. So many of our children don't sleep particularly well. Mm. Um, So the parent that's come in for the, you know, child of three years old has not had a full night's sleep in that three years. Um, The child, the parent that keeps being told, you know, by the doctor or, or a nutritionist or by family members that the child needs to eat more food. They're looking unwell. They're looking pale. We need to get some vegetables or some fruits into them. Or have we tried to support a child that needs predictability in, in their food um, to try and eat a blueberry that's a bit squishy and a bit cold mm. and squidges in your mouth when you <laughs> eat it? No, it's not going to happen. Mm. So they're getting bombarded by lots of different things. We do as parents anyway. You should be parenting this way and you should do this with your child and because that's what the books and the experts say. That all goes out the window. Um, it really does. So again, that communicate that parent needs to feel that that they can have that open and honest discussion actually about how how tough things really are and know that they're not going to be judged by you yeah. and they're not going to be um uh you know yeah judged or ridiculed or or put down as a bad parent because you're having a tough time so we need to open those lines of communication and for the parent to feel that they again it goes back to connection that they can have those open and honest conversations about the reality of of life sometimes yeah and and it's a culture Am I right? It's a it's a cultural approach, and and we talk a lot about 
whole school approaches and ensuring that there's consistency across the board with all different teachers because as we know it, it's not just the Senko's job it's not just one member of staff's job to ensure that that child is that their needs are met so how can a school how can they work on that whole school approach practically how does that happen is it again going back to that connection connecting teachers um, and different stakeholders if you like uh, in the process what does that look like it starts as I as I said before with that policy this is how we work here this is our approach this is the importance of why we're doing what we are doing Um, this is why our classrooms look like this this is why um, you might have some children that are outside stomping this is why you you know at story time not all of our children will be sat down cross-legged looking at the front sitting in complete silence while they're having a, a stories being read you might find some of our children lying to the side on a beanbag lying with their feet up in the air, lying under a table whilst they're or doing their, their writing or their drawing with a bit of paper at, at, underneath the table. Our neuro-inclusive classroom is going to look very, very different yeah. um, to what the traditional school classroom is going to look like. And being confident and um, in your narrative as to why we're doing this. And be sure on the reasons why you're doing this. And actually, this is really then supporting all of our children to be able to learn. So the interventions don't happen necessarily outside of the classroom. They're happening inside the classroom. Um, Because a lot of our interventions actually are creating an even bigger barrier between our children because they happen outside of the classroom. They're taken away from their peer group. So if we can make those adaptions within the classroom... Again, going back to the supporting our children in understanding difference and respect and tolerance of difference, we will have a classroom of our children doing different things that supports their learning, their concentration, their focus. Um, how? What about the training for your staff team? I know that the, the current um, teacher training, the PGCE year, has a very short input into SEN in the classroom. How adequately trained are your team on understanding the differing unique needs of your children? Do your staff, does your staff team understand those sensory seekers and those sensory avoiders? Um, and, and really able to adapt your teaching style to be creative to meet the needs of your children. Yes, I know there is that pressure for targets and, and the curriculum being so intense, you know. I also have an eight-year-old who's, you know, right there in the middle of it, is dyslexic, doesn't necessarily fit the box. It's about creativity in our teaching and adapting what we're doing so that all of our children feel that they are competent learners. Um, We know there is that push on literacy and numeracy, but we don't all have strengths in literacy and numeracy. But how can we embed our children's interests our children's unique special interests and can we capture them through that way in order for them to be able to succeed but also look at succeeding as as that's going to be different for every child you know succeeding for all of our children is not the a stars or sorry the level nines I forget it's changed still trying to get my head around that um you know at GCSE it doesn't look like that for all of our children um but we have to be 
we have to be strong in our response to the narrative that this is the reason why we're doing it. And actually, the best classrooms for me as a parent and a professional are the messy, the messy classrooms with children over here doing one thing, other children over there doing something else, and not necessarily all of our children sat conforming and complying because I can guarantee that there'll be children in there that are having to mask and hold it all in Absolutely. to meet that that expectation. Because what what impact can it have on on things like confidence if we validate the different experiences of of different children and the different celebrations and the different wins? What how does that measure up when it comes to confidence and social skills and, and things like that? Massively. Um, I've spoken a lot about my my eldest son, um, who is autistic, but my youngest, who, who has dyslexia. Because the push is on that literacy and numeracy, he will quite often say, "Well, mummy, I'm stupid. I can't. I can't do it." Um, but when the classroom door needed fixing, he's the one who fixed he it. Knew what to do. He knew exactly <laughs> what to do. He knew exactly what yeah. to do. He has a completely different skill set. Mm. A completely different skill set. Um, and I refer quite a lot to the um, the movement of the hashtag made by dyslexia um, and the need for out-of-the-box creative thinkers for our world. Um, we, as a family, came into London a little while back and we came past the back of MI5 and I kind of said to my youngest son very quietly, I said, shh that's where all the spies are. That's where they work. Don't tell anybody. That's where they work. And he kind of, you know, he, he sort of sat up and, and was very yeah. excited. And I said to him, I said, do you know that they actually, when they're looking for people to work for them, they look for people that would put dyslexia on their form when they're applying for the job. And he said, what, like me, mummy? I said, exactly like you. I said, because our country needs brains like yours to yeah. keep us safe because your brain thinks big picture. Your brain thinks creatively. Your brain fixes problems. Yeah. I said, and we need those people to keep our country safe. And it was almost, hey, hey see? Look at me. Look at me. I'm needed. Yeah, that confidence in let's look at your skill set and let's meet your needs with the skill set that you have. So when we're looking at our children, by looking at where their strengths are, by looking at where their interests are, and those real special deep interests are, you will engage. You will put that fire in their belly through learning if you can support that special interest. Um, and you will see a completely different child. The confidence will grow because they will feel that they are they are con a contributor to their community. We all want that we want that place, don't we? We all want to feel validated and valued and important as human beings. If we are putting all children in the same box, but not all of our children fit that box, um, how that's that's not going to support the self-esteem and the confidence. So real consistency in our narrative that our children are unique, competent, capable learners. If that's our starting point, we're not going to go wrong. Exactly. So if we're starting from that point, then we're really setting up children for life because, of course, it's an obvious point, but neurodivergent children become neurodivergent adults. So it 
leads quite nicely onto the consideration of um, how we consistently support staff that may be neurodivergent as well. Yeah, people forget that, don't they? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of neurodivergent is just a child, uh, um, just just reflected in our children, and it and it's really not. Um, and more often than not, now I'm coming across um, settings that are saying, you know, we have neurodivergent staff, and and we want to know how we can better support them. Um, and it really goes back to making sure that we are consistent in our approach with them as we are with our children. Again, finding out about them as the unique individual, how does their condition impact them? What does it mean for them? And again, creating that open space in order for them to be able to tell you clearly where, what their trigger points are, where their strengths are, what might be a tipping point for them um but also when do they need a break when do they need to come away recharge um get themselves back to that that regulated state in order to then come back into the setting to then continue with their amazing role um for a lot of our neurodivergent adults we are going to see the impact on their executive function potentially within within our role uh, within their role within the setting so we're looking at things like their time management we're looking at things like planning and prioritizing we are looking at things like working memory and flexibility of thought and flexibility of thinking so it may well be that we're giving them a task to do um, but if we're very just very short in that task and very, okay, I just need you to do X, Y, and Z. And they go away and they do X, Y, and Z. But actually you're expecting them to do A, B, C as well. You just didn't say it. There's going to be that level of, there's that disparity between expectation. So again, it's being very clear. So yes, I want you to do X, Y, and Z, but please, can you try and just remember that we also need you to think about A, B, and C in there as well. Yeah. Um, if we're asking them to, to do something, it may well be exactly like with you know with our children. It may well be that we need to provide them with an example. So if it is that we need them to, we're asking them to complete an assessment report or an observation on on one of our children, or to go and take some of our you know children off for an intervention, for example, and we need to provide some feedback on that. What does that look like? What's the expectation? What do you want from me? Um, be very clear and very um, set in, in what it is that you're you're asking them to do. They will do it amazingly, but they need to understand the task task at hand. And with regards to time management, some real kind of understanding of when you need that by. You know, they might know it's parents' evening in three weeks, but when do you want the report by? Yeah. Don't expect there to be necessarily that link between I want the report you know, three days before, so I can read it through before parents' evening. Again, just be very, very clear and offering them the, the support that they need to complete those tasks. It goes back to what we're talking about when it comes to talking to children and ensuring that they know when a task is going to end. And so there's pre-warnings and, and that really just um, expands all the way through through life. We all need that kind of support. And also, it's so important to, as you say, recognise the place of neurodivergent adults and neurodivergent staff members as well. Um, 
for, of course, as you say, that their value and also their representation and the role modelling. How impactful can that be for a child in a setting to see an adult that's neurodiverse? Absolutely massive. They they find that connection with people in a way that somebody truly understands. And actually, you know, maybe your neurodivergent staff could really inform you and your team um, as to how life can be and how tricky it is and, yeah. and the need for open, honest and a safe space. Um, I was delivering a session last week and um, I had a, a, a male teacher on the course um, and he, it was absolutely fascinating. He felt that it was safe, a safe enough space for him to explain his own autism and dyslexia and he spoke a lot about his upbringing some of the interventions that were put in place for him that may well not have been the most neuroaffirming um, interventions mm-hmm. but to have him on the course I mean the room went silent really? just for their, the, his, his colleagues and he actually got a round of applause at the end of it bless him um, but just for others and for him to feel that there was that safe space for him to be his true authentic self because if we're not allowing our staff to be their true authentic self we're moving into the um the the remit of masking and we know the impact of of masking adults who are having to pretend to be somebody that they're not the impact on their mental health the impact on their physical health um you know there's been documentaries on it recently but it really does have a massive profound effect So if we can allow our children to be their true authentic selves and consistency in our approach, our dialogue, our setting, our safe space for our neurodivergent adults to be their true authentic self, that's got to be win-win, right, for for the staff and, and for the children as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, it keeps coming back to that consistency of felt safety for everyone, validating everyone's experiences as you said in order to create that environment and true connections for people yeah yeah as we said I mean these these past three episodes have been so insightful but I don't think that you can take them in isolation really they they work together um and there's such a fluidity between them I wanted to end this episode as I have for the past two episodes so no surprises what are your three takeaways from this conversation on consistency Ensuring you have that whole team approach, Uh, making sure, therefore, that everybody is singing from the same hymn sheet. Is that through some, you know, training for your staff team, Um, understanding the needs of your children and your staff as well, Um, and consistency with everything, your narrative, so that everybody feels that connection, everybody feels um, considered, um, and everybody feels that this is a safe space for them. Brilliant. That's such a nice way to end. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for your time. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Send Network podcast, please rate, review and subscribe. And for more information, head over to the send-network.co.uk.